Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Okay, guys, today's episode, I just can't even say enough amazing things about my guest today. She blew me away with how amazing this interview was, and she blew me away with how fantastic her book, Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You, uh, really was. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit life-changing for me. I'm currently just on cloud nine. My guest today is Terry Trespicio. She's an award-winning writer, speaker, brand advisor, and author of this book that I read that just, I feel like, changed me, made me laugh, made me cry all at once. It's called Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You, and it came out in December 2021. Uh, Terry's TEDx talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has surpassed 7 million views. She was named by HubSpot as one of the top 18 female speakers who are killing it. And let me tell you, she's fucking killing it. She came in at number two. Oprah was number eight. All right, just for a little context there. She's a former magazine editor and radio host at Martha Stewart and has appeared on Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Early Show, The Martha Stewart Show, The Anderson Cooper Show. Her work's been featured in Oprah Magazine, Ray Claire, Prevention, Business Insider, Forbes, Inc. She's a top-rated speaker. She was rated number one by attendees at Barron's and How Design Live and has performed stand-up all over New York City. That's actually really a critical part of her book, Unfollow Your Passion. Um, Terry earned her MFA in creative writing from Emerson College, won first place for creative nonfiction in the Baltimore Review's 2016 Literary Contest, and she lives here in Manhattan. And we just spoke on Zoom. It was a fantastic, probably easily the highlight of my week just in a one hour, one hour of time spent with Terry. She's brilliant. She's so funny. And I cannot, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. There's just so many great nuggets. So if you currently feel like you're in a professional rut, in a physical or emotional rut, if you are looking for some different words to hear ways to apply some really great ideas to help you get started on any specific new trajectory, something that's new for you, this is the episode for you. I, I think Terry just summed up so many things so perfectly, both in the book and in this interview, that I think so many of us could really get some really useful insights and also just some new ideas of how to approach being a person in the world in 2022, because that's where we are. All right. So if you love this episode, please make sure you're subscribed to the On The Side podcast. Leave us a review, maybe a rating. Just say hi on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. I would love to hear from you. Terry, I know, would love to hear from you. So whatever feedback you have, please make sure you share it if you love it as much as I did. And I know that you're going to. So I can't wait to hear from you. Without further ado, let's get into it. Terry Trispicio. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. 
Okay, guys. All right. So today's question is, is emotional eating a myth? I feel like I'm eating out of fear, stress, anxiety, procrastination, sadness, literally all the time these days. Oh, amen. Emotional eating is not even close to a myth. It is super real. And why it's happening right now more than any other time, and I feel like I'm hearing it all over the place. I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm experiencing it myself. And I think a lot of that has to do with our current circumstances, right? Like, the beginning of of our quarantine had a lot of people concerned about stress or emotional eating in a very similar way, but now we're just sort of all over the place, right? Like we have different moments where we feel like things are a sort of version or a different upgraded version of what they used to be, but things are also shut down sometimes. And in, in the Northeast, if you're anywhere in a cold climate at this moment, then you're also <laughs> everywhere and nowhere because it's too fucking cold outside to do basically anything, right? So here's my general advice for stress eating. And and I kind of take this in two parts. The first is that before you take any action, make sure you're in neutral. What do I mean by that? Basically, I always ask three kind of primary questions that are meant to bring it back to what's foundational. Are you hydrated? Are you eating consistently? And are you eating enough satisfying nutrients at those meals and snacks? And are you taking time to give yourself the gift of a little rest, right? So stay hydrated. Make sure you're eating consistently every three to four hours. Make sure that you're combining foods that include protein and a source of fiber at each of those meals and snacks, right? Like I think, you know, I've talked about this a lot in some of the holiday episodes and also in the the hangover, the kind of, I feel like I overdid it. Like where do we begin? And this is the getting back to neutral is the drink, snack, rest. Okay. So then with rest, are you making sure that you're taking beats moments, whether that's a 15 minute break in the middle of the day to get outside, to get a little bit of fresh air, to walk a little bit, even if it's an indoor walk, can you do that? Okay. So drink, snack, rest, drinking, hydration is critical to absolutely everything because it'll also help you stay in touch without with how physically hungry you actually feel. And that's really important, um, especially because when you have that kind of consistency and that regular routine or regular schedule of making, of staying hydrated and making it a priority to sort of have a beverage on hand wherever you are at any point in time um, and making sure that you're eating consistently is that therefore you've given yourself the opportunity to actually stay in touch with whether or not you're eating for a reason that has nothing to do with physical hunger or satiety, right? Because you sort of ruled it out. If you feel satisfied, you're that much less likely to fall victim to the kind of like takedown via your own feelings that are happening, you know, on loop inside of your head when you actually have those two biological factors on lock. Um, When it comes to rest, that can be a little trickier. And I say rest, as many of you guys know, uh, regular listeners, this will ring true or sound familiar to you, which is that rest can take really many different forms. And I've, I've called this sleep before, but really it's not just about sleep. It's also about physical activity because a lot of the time we'll find ourselves feeling like we're sort of restless or we're overtired. And sometimes a little bit of movement can help just as well as a little bit of nap time can actually help. So think about what is restful to you and see where you can build that into your schedule. Now, on the other side of this, what do you actually do about it in the moment? Well, first thing that I would ask you if we were sitting one-on-one in my office is consider where you are when you're making decisions about 
what to eat and when to eat and how to eat and whether or not you want to eat, right? So any health-promoting pattern of eating is going to be one that supports you physically and emotionally. So wherever you are in a scenario, right, like if there is a place that always triggers your personal emotional eating or stress eating, what types of foods are available to you in that specific setting? Are you loading up on partially stale candies because they so happen to be available to you in your current environment? Your surroundings are ultimately one of the most important and most variable factors for in-the-moment decisions like that. So best way to manage that version of the emotional eating of like knowing where you are when you make those decisions is to stock up on foods that you know are going to be easy for you to access, that can help you stay a little bit more satisfied, that will actually contribute to the satiety factor that's um, that can play a role when it's missing, right, in, in getting you confused about whether or not you're full versus hungry. So it'll help you get the nutrients you need. There are also often ones that I recommend are crunchy because sometimes that crunch is what we need when we're feeling anxious, and they're poppable. So ones I recommend, air pop popcorn, frozen grapes, Berries, cherry tomatoes, um, frozen edamame that you've kind of that is like still in the shell, but you can pop in the microwave. Anything that you feel like is light and not super filling, but also that you know has a real whole food as the first ingredient. That's how you know it's like generally going to be more on the nutritious side um, rather than an ingredient as the first ingredient on the ingredients list, right? So a great example is like with popcorn, that's corn is going to be your first ingredient. With grapes, there's no nutrition label because it's just grapes. Okay. So where to start getting a handle on it? So first of all, let's start at the very beginning on that one, one day at a time, guys. Literally, just noticing where you are when you make decisions, just start there. That can help you reframe what you're going to do next. Just knowing that, just becoming more aware of what else is going on in your environment can seem really tough, but the more you practice this skill, right, the more informed you become about where and how you can take action. The next thing I would recommend is sticking to a schedule. Whatever way you can, no matter if you're ordering in, you're cooking at home, just think about what times of day you normally eat and try to stick to those regular times. It's so much easier to deviate or to feel like you're, you know, you're having that thought takedown and you're spiraling, right? When you're spending more time at home. But having a routine is sort of your antidote to that. So even if you're just staying in one place all day long, having that routine, that sense of a schedule is a great foundation. All right. Next would be to take some time on meal prep. And I say that because it kind of works twofold. Like if you're anything like me, I'm a very big fan of a little procrasta cooking, procrasta baking, in fact. Then perhaps this is a nice way to reframe some of those moments where a little procrastinating can actually be beneficial for you. Take a couple minutes to put some snack options together. Clear containers, second shelf of your fridge. You'll be able to see them eye level. Your kids will be able to see them. Everyone can see them. You can prep easily for your next meal instead of just snacking when you're not actually hungry, right? It'll give you an excuse to get up and out of your current setting if you're sitting at a desk but and get you into the kitchen. And if you're getting some nutritious foods on the table for dinner tonight and you know you're going to need to, you know, cut up an onion, cut up some peppers, cut up some broccoli, right? Like then you've got an activity built in that will help you out later on. Last and probably the most important thing that I can say on the topic of emotional eating is self-compassion above all else. Be kind to yourself. If you're having a hard day, stress eating, emotional eating of all types is completely normal. It is a coping mechanism, right? Like lots of us have found some solace in in eating as a result of feeling something else. So it's routinely feeling like you're out of control that is when you would want to start questioning that 
kind of behavior using food as the coping mechanism or using that as the strategy. But a little bit of emotional eating can sometimes really be the fix that you need. Sometimes food really is comfort. So that's okay too. You're not powerless. No single meal or snack in isolation of everything else you do as part of your self-care routine can make or break you. So just keep that in mind. You're doing great. We've got Omicron and that's some bullshit. Things are hard right now, okay? So just take care of yourself. Take care of the people that you love. But remember that you deserve a little bit of rest and a little bit of grace. We're all going through a tough time right now, okay, guys? Be kind to yourself. For now, that's where we'll leave it. Let's get back to the episode. Remember that you can always DM me at JacquelineLondonRD with all of your food, nutrition, wellness questions. Terry Trespicio, welcome to On the Side Thank you. with Jackie Thank you. I, I love the name of it. On the Side is the best. Oh my God. Thank you. Okay. That really means that really means everything coming from you because I feel like also as a former editor, I feel like we we have not even had a moment to debrief on this topic. But let here's where I want to start with us because I'm obsessed with your book, Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You. I just want to carry it around with me everywhere. Half Aww. of the things in this, first of all, everything about this is genius, but I I we were just talking before we started recording about marking up <laughs> about marking yes. up the hard copy. And I'm looking through my copy of this book. And I'm like, is there something, is it problematic that every, every page is marked up or should, should <laughs> every, great. should that be, huh? How will That's I amazing. distill that? But here's what, here's where I want to start this, our conversation. Is there something, is there one thing that you have in the back of your mind that you're like, God, you know, it was great. I loved that chapter section, something, but it, I, I had to make it, it, I left it on the cutting room floor before this went to press? No, actually. And that's interesting because I had a ton of stuff. I had pages and pages and pages. And when it came time, like really time, like deadline time, <laughs> let's figure out what's going in the book, what's not. It's like you're picking, it's hard because it's like you're picking teams for kickball. You're totally. like, you're going to sit this one out, but you're in, you're in. So it <laughs> didn't get cut. In fact, I, I, I'll tell you what I fought for. I fought for two sections in there that my editor was like, I don't know if we need this. And okay. it was the chapter called Unfollow Your Passion because she's like, I think we covered that. I was like, no, no, no. I want that chapter in there to lay out some of the research around it. That meant a lot. But yeah. here's the yeah. thing that uh, the chapter on curiosity, Ooh, wait. which is in the first part of the book. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Called It's yeah. Not a Sin to Be Wickedly Curious. Oh. And I talk about, and you know who inspired that was Elizabeth Lesser, who wrote... Um, Cassandra speaks and yes. totally she blew my mind about the Adam and Eve whole yes. thing. And I'll explain what that is. I, she blew my mind. And I was like, well, I want to include her and her insights because it's changed how I see that myth It's changed how I see uh, women and curiosity. But yes. my editor said, I don't know, do we need this? It seems kind of off topic. And I realized okay, it doesn't mean she doesn't like it. It means she doesn't, we're really picking tight teams here. Right, right. So I had to make a real argument and change the chapter to make sure it was relevant. And so it wasn't about curiosity. It was about, it was about something else. And then I was like, no, it's yeah. going to be about this. Mainly, and here's the nugget, yeah. because I believe that as a rule, men are encouraged to be curious and to strike yes. out yes. and to discover what's out there for them. And women are told not to be curious because it will get them in trouble. 100%. That pans out for every fairy tale, every horror story, go into Netflix and flip through and everything's about, a well, the ones that have women you know, in the main roles are 
should they not have done that? It's always yes. a slight moral question. And I mm-hmm. thought the danger is not that we don't believe in ourselves or we don't manifest things enough. All those things take a number, right? But yeah. the idea that we might quash our own curiosity and not actually wonder, well, what if, if I did that? Because we go, no, 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 I should just be grateful. I'm not going to start trouble. Maybe we should oh start some God. trouble. It's t- Thank you. I mean, it's time to start some trouble, but also that narrative, I mean, that that description right there of the, I should just be grateful. I feel like that could just, just as well, that sums it all up right there, right? You like don't that have I should to just be, be grateful. grateful or, you don't have to be great. Grateful is often pinned as right. like, well, I should just be. Grateful right. should be part and parcel of, I'm so grateful that this happened. I'm right. able to do X, that I'm going to keep going. Grateful was never meant to be a break. Right. To hit the brakes there. Right. Okay. So will you tell our listeners the specific story that you're talking about from- Oh, uh, yes. I didn't even tell you. Oh, yes. No. I mean, well, it's hard because now that I've read this (laughs) 17 times- Well, now we're all in the same. We're having our own little book club. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. obviously, people of different religious persuasions and beliefs are going to maybe have a problem with this. But I'm going to say it anyway, as someone who was raised Catholic and taught the Bible and everything else, that I always understood that Eve got everyone into trouble. Because in the Garden of Eden, these two kids are told you can have anything in the garden but that tree, the tree of knowledge. You're not allowed to eat from that tree. This is a super simplified layperson's version of it. (laughs) And uh, Adam's like, cool, cool, cool. I won't. And Eve is like, but, um," and she basically consults a consultant. Yeah. The snake, right? The snake right. who says, "Actually, stuff's pretty fantastic. <laughs> you might want to consider." And she's like, "Oh, well, see." She took a couple. She, she sought a second opinion. She sought a second opinion. And, you know, she was like, "Well, why not? Why?" Not? So anyway, of course, we know that. what happened. We he ate from the tree of knowledge and said, "Hey, Adam, this is great. Try this." And he did. And then they get in trouble. She gets in trouble. He doesn't. He blames her too. So it becomes, on one level, you're like, well, that's what happened. First of all, we know what myths are, right, people? This didn't really happen, of course. <laughs> this is not historical <laughs> fiction. But the myth is meant to teach. What is the myth teaching us? Really, do what daddy tells you. 100%. And what is Elizabeth Lesser, who's an amazing writer and yeah. thinker, founder of the Omega Institute, she says, actually, this is a lot of how women are blamed for, you know, if they would just be good girls and not start trouble, then we'd all be hanging out. Elizabeth Lesser says Eve was uh, the first grown-up because she said, why don't we do what we want to do and just see? And then they get kicked out, but it's like, oh, then they're punished for life and they have labor pains and disease and they die. That's called life. And so she said, let's get out of this. Why are we staying at your dad's place rent-free? Let's go out and live our (laughs) lives. Now, I would love a movie made of that whole thing, but she really (laughs) struck out and did on her, you know, with her partner trailing probably resentfully behind. Resentfully, I'm certain. Yes. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But she was a hero because what do heroes, what do other heroes do? What does Odysseus do? What are all the, think of any major hero in literature. (sighs) They went out on their own. They made a few mistakes, but we herald their return. Here, a woman is banished for being curious. She didn't eat from the tree of pornography. She (laughs) ate from the tree of knowledge because she wanted to know. And you should also want to know. And no one should stop you. I mean, I can't, I can't even say, I can't even scream loud enough to say enough affirmations to that. It's like, I I feel like back in, in um, my, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Now on this note, on the topic of heroes, 
let's discuss. <laughs> so, so you mentioned Ulysses, and I think I think that is a perfect. This is a perfect segue here because so um so I wrote my book Dressing on the Side Another Dive Misty Bunked. It came out in 2019, and I have this whole chunk and talk about things that I really fought for. <laughs> You're reminding me of this in talking about this story, which is that I had this whole kind of recap in my paraphrased words of what Ulysses does when he is going from Troy to Ithaca and trying to get ready for the sirens. He's preparing. He's got his plan. Yes. He makes his big plan, which leads me to my question. And I talk about this a lot in in terms of like, okay, we don't always know what it's going to be like when we get to the holiday party, what the food situation is going to be like. We don't always know what it's going to, how, how we're going to feel, how many sangrias or eggnogs or whatever we're going to possibly knock back. We're going to have a general plan and we're going to have a kind of follow-up plan about what we want to do when we get back. But I want you to talk about something that you mentioned, which is the plans versus planning, which I thought oh. was so brilliant in this book because I feel like we mess this up a lot. Like we hang on to the plan really tight, but the planning, yes. the planning is half the battle. In fact, it's, I think you might say it's maybe most of it, right? Most. Yeah. Most of it. Yeah. That, that chapter is called abandon your plans. And of right. course, <laughs> well, that uh, we don't even have to decide to do that. COVID did that for us. Right. Like, <laughs> anyone who's <laughs> you know, had a plan in the past two years has probably seen that plan canceled. They know what it's I like. I think we've learned something. <laughs> I think if anything, the pandemic has taught us that Plans were never that set. And even though like plans, also how we do things, how we yeah. work, how this will work, this won't work. When stuff happens, yeah. you're going to have to find an alternate plan. Yeah. My point was that, and I'm there's a lot of wise people have said this, that it's the attachment to anything yeah. that creates suffering. Attachment right. to outcome, attachment to plans, which we think will result in a certain outcome. Yeah. And I get just as disappointed as anyone else when something isn't happening. But if we were to put more stock in our ability to plan than in any one plan, right. we wouldn't suffer as much. Does right. that mean things won't get canceled? Things will always get canceled. Mm -hmm. I make half my plans out with like uh, a grain of salt. I'm like, yeah, well, we'll see. We don't know. <laughs> do, but do. plans were never <laughs> set. I've really always been like that. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I've always been like, yeah, no, I... I think we can do that, but I, I don't We'll see. <laughs> right. Is there a re refund policy? <laughs> right. So here's the thing. Are, for people who love to plan, yeah. there's a lot of them who say, I love planning. Yeah. Do you though? Because if someone loves planning, but they are derailed when those plans don't happen, you don't like planning. You yeah. like control. And control was an illusion from the beginning. So if you love planning, then I hope you like replanning. Right. Because- you, if you love planning that much, then you should be happy because when plans cancel, you need another plan. Right. So and don't tell me that you love planning or such a great planner. No one's a great guarantor of outcome. They can only create a plan and that plan can go awry. Show me someone who's so upset and miserable over a plan that goes awry. And I'll show you someone who doesn't love planning. They just wanted things to work out the way they wanted to work out. Right. Grow up. That's not how that as, happens ever. As Terry would say, as Terry would say, and Eve would say, grow up, time to be a grown up. up. And as Elizabeth Lesser would say, time to grow up, be a grown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try Make being a little decisions. bit more like Eve. Make your own decisions. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. We got to take it back. We've got to take it back twofold. One is that you mentioned 
the pandemic, which I loved how you, how you described your March 13th. It was my day was March 13th too. And it was like, oh, oh let's just flip the table. Here we go. Everything's over. <laughs> Everything yeah. is over. Um, so what were you doing? What were you planning for at that moment? And what was going oh on? God. What was the sort of day in the life then versus now, if you well, will? And I gotta say, I have, I'm going to say this knowing that we don't ever know what'll happen, but I, of all people, feel pretty lucky because yeah. I was I was pretty pandemic proof. Yeah. Only in that I'd been on Zoom for years. I've been working on my own from home yeah. and had steady stuff. Like I was working for myself a long time yeah. this way. Right. So I didn't have the big adjustment that a lot of people had. Yeah. However, I do also make a good part of my living as a public speaker. Right. And when all my events, my events canceled. <sighs> Oh yeah, I sat there and cried for a day. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is the end of me because a lot of those events are how I meet people, they're how I generate more business. And I was like, what? If those are gone, and I just felt I felt out of control. I felt like, oh no, this is terrible. And then I I gave myself like a day to be like really devastated. And then I was like, all right, now what? So so everyone's parties are canceled. Looks like you're gonna have to throw your own parties. Yeah. I had already known how to do webinars and online trainings and I've been doing them, but now it's like time to up this in a really big way. Because part of what I do is run retreats and events in person. I love those and I couldn't do it. So after March 13th, I started scheming a way to be able to do what I do for people virtually, which turns out was very easy to do. So I started a program called the six week sprint. I said, let's just try this for six weeks and see what happens. (laughs) And I said, who wants to do more writing? (laughs) Who Who wants to connect and just kind of write either for themselves, for themselves professionally, or to just get to the page again and find some kind of peace and sanity. And so I launched that and I was like, does anyone want to do this with me? And I filled the program. And then I was like, well, why don't we do it again? And I've done it again and again for since the beginning of the pandemic, I'm still doing it. And I was so happy to find community in a way that I wouldn't have traveling around to those events, but realize also, okay, so that's one thing. I was able to do what I do and love that. I, of course, took a so hit. Many For sure, it took a hit, like a lot of right. people did, income-wise and all that during the pandemic. But the other thing was, I sold my book during the pandemic. Yeah. And if I'd been off doing the other things, right. I probably right. wouldn't have had the bandwidth to do it. So because I had the time, I had was like really trying to shop that proposal around, trying to find yeah. an agent. Da, da, da. And when I did that, was able to put the time into it, right? because I had right. nothing but time, yes. um, I sold it soon after lockdown and then was like, oh, I guess this is what I'm going to be doing now. <laughs> so I was what really excited gift. about that. It presented totally. a really unique opportunity. Yes. Oh my God. What a gift. I didn't even, for some reason, I had it in my mind that you sold it before. And it, it like, oh, and it, what a gift. I mean, that talk about like things working the way that they're supposed to, but in, in, in something that I, I think about a lot because I remember this Twyla quote and you used it and it's the best one, which is sort of like, you don't really, there's no such real thing as luck. Like there is luck, but there's not, there's not really luck. Can you clarify it for our listeners about that, that sort well, of idea? Well, they say the, the more prepared I am, the luckier I get. Right, right? exactly. Like, the luck is about how many resources and, and how much effort you can have on your side already working so that more doors can open. Is there some luck meaning some things you couldn't have planned for? Sure. I don't know that it was the pandemic was divined uh, for me to write a book. How crazy. Although a lot (laughs) of people might have books. I think it might have been personally as a a true lover of this piece of true art 
But also it's more than just, I mean, it's more than just art. I feel like there's a lot that you have to say in here that really explains what art actually is in the best possible way. But this is like, I would say if there was one great thing to come of the pandemic, I would argue it's this. Oh, I just say for me personally, absolutely. (laughs) And maybe for other people, I might've written it later. (laughs) Who knows? But the fact that that happened, yeah, I do feel pretty damn lucky about that for sure. Wow. Okay. Now let's take another time travel for a second. Let's take a time travel to the day that you lost your job at Omnimedia and that you were like, I lost my job, but I didn't really lose it. I do exactly. (laughs) I knew knew where it was. was. They told me to get lost. (laughs) That's what happened. Tell us about that day, how you felt, how that sort of kicked the next phase of your life into gear. Being laid off is is a moment. I'd never Special. been laid off before. This was, and I knew it was, I didn't know it was happening until like right then. It was kind of like, I didn't know tsunami was coming until I saw the shadow. You know, you right. see it coming. I worked for Martha Stewart. Okay. It was yeah. Martha Stewart on the media for years as magazine editor. It had moved me to New York. I was, you know, having this cool experience of being a magazine editor right. in New York, which I always dreamed maybe could happen. Yeah. And then there was a day of layoffs. We heard it coming. The phones were the ringing rumble. like aisle by aisle. We could hear it coming and people's phone phones were ringing. Everyone would get really quiet. And that person would get up and leave and go to human resources. Oh, and I just like, got the oh no. Oh no. And then my phone rang and everyone whipped around and they're like, no. And I said, Hey, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Like I was fully adrenalized. Like I was like, right. oh, my God, oh my God. And I went down to the <laughs> office an office I'd never been to, to an HR exec I had never met before. And my boss was sitting there and she was like looking very grim. And I walked and I said, am I getting laid off? And they're like, have a seat. Oh God. And I said, oh my gosh, I was just kind of yeah. shaky kind yeah. of, but I also was like, this is it. This is yeah. the chance. This I could tell the story in the making. I was like, this is happening. So I wasn't devastated in that, oh, I'll never work again. I was like, Okay, because I had been thinking, am I going to break up with this job or are they going to break I up with know. me? Like, what's going to happen first? Because I'm not going to be here forever. I know that. Right. And so when I went back to my desk and I was like, kind of like, oh my gosh. And I felt kind of bad for my boss because yes. I only had to go through it once. She had to oh go through it God. all day long. And she came by and was very weepy. And she's like, you're handling this so well. And I was like, I it's really okay. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> and I didn't know that, but I was like, let's go. It, right. it felt like, the top of a water slide. You're like, here we flip and go. Right. And then I had to go directly to a dentist appointment because it was that kind of day. I had a dentist appointment schedule. I was like, I had gone to a funeral of a young woman that oh, I before, a young mother who had died in childbirth. Oh my so close God. Family friend. I went to a funeral, came in, got laid off and went right to the dentist. I was like, this has got to be one of the worst weeks. There, it's got to be I, one of the I, worst. Personally, I have to say that I don't like, there's few things I like less than going to the dentist. And I don't really know why it's not really, you know. <laughs> the dentist wasn't like as bad as, as the funeral. The funeral. But that, yeah, I mean, yes. there's worse things than the dentist, usually funerals, those things. That really seems to be like, that's really probably the worst. The thing that's worse than the dentist, the funeral. Yeah, easily. Yeah, and, but I rolled up into the dentist with like a plant, like a box of pictures. <laughs> and they're like, what's happening? I said, I just got laid off. They're like, do you want to come back? I go, nope, I'm here. Let's do it. So, <laughs> like four files in like the cardboard, like the I old was like, school cardboard it. box, right? You're That's like, right. here I am. I showed up. It's time. Um, well, it's funny. No, it was exciting. Exactly. Was exactly. Okay. So tell us, so tell us more. So you, so you were like, I knew that this wasn't forever. I know that this isn't the right moment for me. What's, 
next? What's the next yeah. 24 hours looking the like? The next 24 hours is called call your people. Yeah. <laughs> this is why you have friends and a network and people to, and I had this feeling because I was hosting a, a radio show, yeah. a daily radio show at the time. So, and I had begun like taking people's numbers. I was like, let's stay in touch. I just had a feeling. I was like, it's time to throw out some ropes. Yeah. So you have somewhere to swing to just people yeah. to talk to. And so I, you know, cause otherwise it's really easy to get lost in your job and just your job Yes. and put your head down and not build any relationships. And I was like, you're going to need people. Yeah. So when I got laid off, I went home, I called some people and I was like, all right, this is what's happening. I don't know what I'm going to do. This was not a time to go, oh, great. Now I can follow my passion. I was like, now I need to find a way to pay my rent. Right. That's what's happening. I called everyone I knew and said, here's what happened. What do you need? What do you need? I started taking orders. I was like, who needs what yeah. in terms of content? What do you need? And one woman who's in the book, Pilar Gersimo, who's the editor uh, of Experience Life magazine, she didn't need help on the editorial side right then. But she said, I have an idea. We yeah. need help on the sales side because the salespeople need stuff to sell. They need content. Yeah. And we are not allowed to write it because of the rules, the publishing yeah. rules. You can't have an editor writing advertorials. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. I made it up as I went. I talked to her. I met with her group. I figured it out. What could I do? I created a proposal. I'd never done any of this. Right. And I landed a huge six-month consulting gig that mm -hmm. I was like, I guess I'm a consultant. Not like, yeah. I really didn't know. But that wasn't because I knew I wanted to do that. I said, what do you need? They said, we need content. I go, I got you. Let me think of some things. Listen, the reason I bring this up, everyone's path is different. But Jackie, everyone that I meet, wants to draw on their creativity, even if they're yeah. not in the creative industry, whatever, whatever that means. Yeah. This is how you make, when people go, how can I have a creative job? Well, there's no one that goes, hey, creative jobs here. Like right. you can't just go <laughs> grab a creative job. Creativity <laughs> and the excitement of it and the passion of it comes from figuring out what bag of tricks you have and who needs stuff that you've got. Yes. Who needs this? It's not, and this is my argument and, and the metaphor I'm sticking with, deciding to follow your passion is and saying like, I'm going to find my passion. I'm going to make it up. And then the world owes me a job that looks like that. That's right. like me making and melting my own key right. at home, right. the shape I like, and then going, where's a lock that I could open? <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Far better to go look at a bunch of locks and pour yourself into the shape of that lock yeah. so that you can open it. So that's what I did. I said, what do you need? What do you need? I'm not going to keep someone's books. That's not the job. But do you need this written? Do you need that? I also had been on the radio and had helped some people who had struggled. So I said, now I'm a media trainer. Let me help yes. you with that. And I created it as I did it. But it was not faking it. It was yeah. real skills I had. Right. And I charged right. real money for it. And I out-earned my salary that first year by a lot. Wow. wow. That first year. And it went up from there, not because of one lucky consulting gig, because right. that one went away ultimately, right. but because I kept being like, I'm going to reinvent this. I'm going to find ways to do it. And I don't even care. When, when someone yeah. would ask you what I do, I'd tell this person one thing, I'd tell that person the other. It didn't matter. Right. I didn't have a tagline. Right. I didn't have a website. I was just like, what do you need? Yes. Okay. This is why I say that this, I felt like this book really found me at the exact moment that I needed that I needed it is because there's so much advice out there, right? And I am in a yes. very similar place to your 2011 description. I also oh. lost my job in September and I was praying for that day. Oh, good. <laughs> really hoping that it would happen. And I thought, 
what if this never happens? I'm going to have to get out of here myself. And that's really hard for me. You know, so having this, I just remember, first of all, it was a really strange experience. We laid off on Zoom. It's a very different, like, just not something that you, that you know what to do. Because I was sort of like, what do I do with my hands? I guess I go make the lunch. Or like, I was like prepping something. (laughs) I was like baking something. (laughs) So I went into the other room and my husband was on a call. And I was like, fun fact. Guess what just happened? <laughs> like it was just sort of like so you weren't okay. devastated. You were like, I was, "Oh, good. Now I can start something." Else. I was uncontrollably smiling, but at the same time, like, and it was like to that weird point where you're doing that weird smile. You're like, <laughs> "Yes." <The> weird <laughs> like smile. I was just like, like as if I was just high on something because I just thought, "Oh my god, the freedom!" At the same time, I also yes. felt like there's so much that I had been doing. In, it was almost like my pandemic moment of the, oh my God, like now what? Okay, let me just take a breather. There was this moment of feeling like, okay, you build on your own momentum, but I also knew the burnout was real. Like that it, this was happening at a certain moment in time because I also felt almost like functionless. And I kept waking up on like a Monday morning being like, I don't know what I can do this another week. Like what? is happening. Like, I can't do this another week. And then yeah, it would be another week. And then, and then so to wake up with the feeling the next day of being like, like this really, it's not my problem anymore. It's just not my problem. It's the most liberating Right. It's such a relief. But the thing that spoke to me so much is that I feel like in, in terms of like there being unlimited advice out in, in the realm of everything, the most tactile thing I've ever heard that is something that I feel like I could also be really good at is just saying, what kind of help do you need? And that's, no one presented that option to me. Do you know what I, like, like in other words, the idea that I could, no. Because I think maybe everyone knows that already. Right, exactly. Like, no, I I don't think so. I feel like the idea of, of framing it as for yourself what could I help you with? And then, and then even if someone doesn't know to just give a couple ideas of things you've done in the past, like that sort of skill, that's the hard part. The asking, the the sort of outreach is the hard part. But at the same time, once you get the answer, it's not necessarily the hard part. Cause like you said, you weren't going to do somebody's books. Like you weren't, you weren't there like, to just like, <laughs> like, keep, like, like, let me do your accounting. Exactly. Like I was not qualified for that. No one was like, yes, Harry, you're a CPA. A right. Yes, right. I am not. Uh, but there's a gift there. And I think that pressure, this is, a, I am convinced, the reason people find the outreach and asking for work hard is because they think they're asking someone to buy flowers they don't need or want. Like, will yes. you buy some flowers? Will you buy some flowers? Uh, will you just buy them because I need someone to buy flowers? That does feel like a lousy pitch. Right. But if I say, if I go out into the world of my contacts, of my community or network and say, think of it as I have, you know, everyone's hair's on fire. Yeah. For a different thing, and I have a bucket of water. Whose hair should I put out? Yes, like, I look at it as someone needs something that you have, yeah. even if you don't know what it is. You know how many jobs I took on that I was like, I'll try doing your PR and realized I hated that, or oh, let yes, me try this definitely. with marketing, let me try this. And then as I worked with someone, I realized another need. I go, wait, it seems like you might also need help with this. Is that true? Yes. And when someone has a need and you articulate it for them, yeah. they are so relieved that they that someone sees them and acknowledges a solution that sometimes people will pay you to, to solve problems you don't even want to solve. Yeah. And if you need money, that's a great place to start. Right. There are a lot of projects I said, I don't want to do this kind of thing again. You get to be selective if you keep offering. Right. Then you right. get to be selective about what you'll do and you won't do. 
Right. But that took time. That took time and figuring out people go, I got to figure out what I want to do first and then do it. No, you do figure it out while you're doing it and you can do it while you're getting paid to help someone. So I was doing a lot of media training because a lot of people go on interviews and TV and they they don't know what to say and they get nervous and all the things. Normal. It's not normal to speak in media, to speak in stuff. (laughs) And so I helped them do that. But the more I worked with people, I'm talking for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I said, the problem is not that they don't know how to talk in an interview. That's the problem they think they have. The real problem is they don't really know why they're there or if they deserve to be there. Yes. What if I solve that problem? And that's how I got into being a brand consultant, which means everything and nothing. Right. But it was like, <laughs> let's talk about the bigger picture and how this message in your, you as an expert, how you could use this in all the places. So rather than filling this one little cup with water, I realized I could pump it into the system for them. But yeah. I figured it by doing the work. Right. Where are we giving ourselves a chance to discover things through the work? That's the challenge. Oh. And that's the fun. Yes. Well, you mentioned something in the book that is exactly to that point that I loved so much, which is it's the name of a chapter. And I want to say it's it's practice makes uh ah, practice makes purpose. Tell us. True. Tell truth. Us. Truth. That is the truth. Yes. We think like, the goal is never to be perfect at anything. I'm not perfect at right. anything. The goal was the more you do something, the more likely you yeah. are to be connected with it. And uh, well, you saw the Today Show interview. Yeah. I had heard an interview that Al Roker did with Chris Hayes on Chris Hayes' podcast. Uh, wow. Why is this happening? Is anybody- right. I knew I was going to the Today Show. I didn't know I was going to be interviewed by Al Roker, but I was like, right. nah, let me learn a little bit about Al Roker. So I listened to the interview and I swear to you, I was like, oh, yes. Uh, someone, uh, Chris Hayes said, well, one of the questions people ask about you is, did you always know, like, what was the moment you know you were going to be a TV weatherman or the guy? Yes. And this is why. Was like, this is why I bought this book. Yes. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, this that moment. moment, I heard Al Roker tell Chris Hayes, well, I mean, I didn't know. People think I knew. I didn't. He goes, I took meteorology because the teacher had a a reputation for not showing up. And my roommate said I should take the class. He's like, so I took it. That was cool. He goes, but years later, I wanted to get into TV production. I figured I'd be behind the camera. And then a job came up to be this weather guy. Like it just happened one thing at a time. He never said, I'm going to be a famous. You don't do that huge declaration. So when he said that, he goes, I didn't know I was going to do that. But the more I did it, the more I felt I was meant to do it. And I committed that line. I was like, Al, you've made my whole case for me. So then when I got on the Today Show a few weeks later, I said, you know what, Al, you made my point for me on your interview with Chris Hayes. I could see him kind of like pale for a moment. Like, I remember what I said. Oh, no. But that moment, you get like three minutes on the Today Show. That's it. That comment, that little exchange between me and Al Roker, which I'd never had before, of course, um, is the thing people give me the most feedback on. But Such I'm going to get very meta point. for a moment. No, please do. Do you realize that who cares, right? That was a, a one-off amazing thing. I got to do the Today Show, right? Whatever. For the book, because that was why. But that moment yeah. when you turn it around to the other person and go, you know, you actually have said this. this is what I heard you say. He, his whole expression and demeanor changed. That's the essence of, I think, consulting when yeah. you run your own business as a consultant is, yeah. can you see something about something brilliant in the other person and remind them of it? That moment is how people decide to work with you. Not, are you the best writer? Are you the best media trainer? Are you the, No one knows. There's no measure for the best. Right, right. But everyone will say, go to my person. She's the best. 
best to them because why? They liked what it was like to work with someone. So I say this because I know you talk to people who run their own shops and are trying to, you know, do it on the side or do their own side hustle or whatever. And if you can do that, if you can listen and show someone else how they have made a brilliant point, that's more important than anything else. Right. But the whole idea of it bringing back to someone feeling truly seen is like, I, I feel like sometimes we use that phrase and those of us who are doing things like this use that phrase a lot. And I, I've seen that either really, like, I'll say that or like, you know, you like, I will reinforce the idea that something made me feel seen or something made someone else feel seen. And there's a little bit of mystery. Like if you don't really know or identify necessarily with those words, then then when you are in the moment of reminding someone what it feels like to do the thing that you're talking about or what they're really good at or what really speaks to them or what's really meaningful to them and you can see that and and just sort of reaffirm it i feel like we're all just looking for that in different ways oh, everyone. Like we're just looking for that everyone is looking for that i'm telling you it is and it's not even it's not meant to be ego stroking or flattery it's the reason why we feel awkward or afraid to tell people or ask people for help or yeah. tell them what we do is because we think it's like Oh, it's an imposition. If you feel like it's an imposition, then maybe you are not listening closely enough to the other person. Because when someone else feels heard, they want to feel heard all day long. Right. right. It's not about, well, here's what I do. And is anyone interested in what I do? No, no one's interested. Listen, no one's interested in anyone's stuff. My book is just another book. It you liked it. Some people liked it. That conversation matters. Yeah. Right. But right. we have to be willing to like, you know. I wasn't like, does anyone want to read my book just because I wrote it? No, of course not. No one cares. <laughs> What's in it for me? And you found that there was something in it for you enough that you went and reached out to me, a total stranger. Yeah. So yeah. if you're wondering, well, how will I ever find business? How to start talking to people and start showing them how well you listen. That is how I have built my entire business. It's how I've been able to do what I want to do and do it under my own steam. Yes, Terry. Yes. Okay, wait. On this, on this, tell us about an experience working in consulting where you were like, this is a hot mess. This is a hot mess, but I can see oh, that they're doing out? one thing. No, like that that they were, that this brand or business or whatever it was, whoever oh, I'll it was. Tell you. It, yes, tell us, please. And, and how I realized it yes. wasn't for me or her. Both. Well, okay, that's actually a great point. I was thinking how you sort of navigated them through a challenging time, but actually I like that first one better, how you realized it wasn't for you. <laughs> Tell us that one first. And then we can go through that, how we can go through the part two after. Yeah. Well, I do work in all different industries. And so lots of different times, random people will reach out to me. And you would think that, and this is my whole point, that a sexy topic makes for Mm. interesting work. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily. I was approached by a sex toy company years ago. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Oh, cool. Like, let's. You know, I mean, the sex toy industry is pretty advanced and evolved. It's right. a whole, I mean, the the way these toys, if you will, I hate that word, but the yeah. way these toys and tools are created say something about sexuality itself. Right. 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 They don't look like big, huge, awkward things. Like they're sleep. Right. They look like spaceships, right? They're going to take you to the moon. Right. And this one company had a model for a thing that I said, this looks very outdated. Right. First of all, right. it was a sex toy that had to be plugged into the wall to use. I don't already know. <laughs> it looked like a rotary phone. I mean, it looked like uh, an Oral B like toothbrush, like the old kind. I mean, even toothbrushes right. are cooler. A water pick, like something like. 
like a water pick or it had like a big coil, like coil, like an old telephone uh, cord. And I was like, I don't, well, talk to me about what are you, what is the mission here? I mean, obviously you're a startup. And they said, we really want to make it okay for people to pleasure themselves. Like, oh, I think we're there already. We're there. Right. We're there. Like, uh, I know that you came to this conclusion in like the 80s, but like, we're there already. So, what are you going to tell me to do? They didn't have any kind of mission. They had a model they bought cheap because they were, in fact, using a toothbrush casing. And so they were like, they were trying to push it. They were trying to push a product. It wasn't something they believed in it, but they believed in the, their own beliefs more than they cared about connecting to the sex yes. positive community. Like yeah. all those things have to be considered. And I was like, no, I can't, like, this is not, I don't even yeah. want to get into it because you also don't seem to be listening to me. Like right. if you're going to hire me. And I said, but you'd have to be willing to consider these things. And they kind of didn't want to hear that. And I was like, I don't think this is a fit. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Even if I could help you, I'm not going to because it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Right. So in that, maybe it's happening as a result of like the the outreach, like of who you're approaching or what opportunities are coming up that you're actually right. saying yes to, right? But what about right. the what about what does it sound like and feel like on the other side, like when it's going really positively? Or you're like, oh, I had no Whoa. idea. I'd be so interested in this accounting oh my software. God. Perfect. <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. Perfect opposite. And this is where, again, I'll bring it back to this idea of when people say, I have to work in this industry or right. I have to be doing this because I'm passionate about it. I put passion in the backseat. I say, you're coming with me. Whatever we do, you're going to be with me. Yeah. I'm going to find opportunities to feel passionate. Yes. And since then, I've done a ton of incredibly fulfilling work in an industry I knew nothing about. And it's yeah. the financial services industry. Wow. Uh, I don't have any training in it. I knew nothing. I spoke at an event yeah. about branding because this was a bunch of independent, these, this particular group is independent advisors who yeah. are business owners, but they've been trained within a financial oh. services model, which is not the startup model, right? And they right. have compliance and everything else. I don't know about that. And I'm learning about it, but I did my thing and I, I, tend to get a lot of great feedback from talks because I know how to make it relevant to them, even if I don't know specifically what their job looks like. Right. Because I'm not telling them I know more than that. Right. Right. That one speaking event changed my life. I was invited back year after year. That was the Barron's event, like very high end, like the best advisors in the country. And they started to hire me to work with me. And some people would be like, have you ever had experience with this? Do you know this? I go, no. I go, but you do. Right. Why do I need to know your business? You know your business. I'm not trying to be you. I'm trying to tell you stuff you don't know. Right. And that means it's about what you do that I don't know. But the work, I'm not passionate about finance stuff. Right. Doesn't matter. I am excited about my bag of tricks, about how I can serve yeah. the advisor with it. I've served people inside of huge institutions and individual independent business owners yeah. Um, yeah. in that industry. And it's been so exciting because- They're learning something from me. I'm learning a lot from them. And it feels when you're working with them, it feels a little bit like falling in love. Yeah. It's like it feels like you're in your simpatico, right? You're like in alignment. They're so excited because you're helping them what as a brand consultant, making them look good and like how they look. Yeah. And that's key. And listening to them. And I said, listen, I'll say to them, I'm ignorant, but I'm not stupid. So you have to teach me these things so that I understand it. Because if I don't understand it, no one will understand it. So I put the onus on the expert to explain their work to me. Why would they assume I know anything? Right. doesn't mean I can't do a great job. And one after another have hired me for years. Uh, They have been a big momentum behind my own success as a brand advisor. And I didn't pick it. 
And I didn't think that would happen. So you can actually have incredibly fulfilling work in industries you didn't think you'd care to lick about. Yes. First of all, I think you said something so powerful in there about the momentum building, about just the idea of like having that momentum is so critical. And that because you wouldn't necessarily have said out of the gate, you know what? Financial services. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there seems to be some opportunities over there. I would never have sought it out. I guess I should have. I could have. Maybe I should have had more initiative, but I would never have thought that they wanted me. Right. But as soon as I realized there were puzzle pieces that fit yeah. together. So a lot yes. of people say, because uh, I'm a writer, a lot of people say, well, how do I get a creative job in writing? It's like, you get creative by finding ways to use your writing with people who have budgets. Yes. Because if you want to write for 10 cents a word, you can do that, but you can write a lot. Right. How about you just be really good at listening to people and have people who have budgets pay you to write for them? Right. You can work as a writer anywhere. <laughs> right. Can you tell us on that? Can you tell us about the skill cloud? The skill cloud is an approach I've developed with a friend of mine when we were trying to teach how to think through a piece of writing, how to think through a TED talk. I know Mm -hmm. I gave two TEDx talks and I've coached many, many others. I love it. It's kind of like being a writer, but specializing in sonnets. I'm like a speaker and a speaker trainer who specializes in the 10 minute TED style talk. I love it. It's so fun. That everything about that sounds so fun. Okay. Tell us why. Tell us why that's fun and then we'll go to skill class. It's fun. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's fun because people tend to think, well, I have to be important to give a TED talk. I have to know what my top, I know my topic and I'll say, well, what's your topic? And they say, I want to tell people how to eat healthier. I was like, no one wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. I can say as someone who has spoken a lot about telling people. Yes. Well, how to eat healthier. Nobody wants to hear that. They know. They do know. know. They do know. Yeah. What if, I mean, the fun part of it is finding an idea that people assume that's incorrect and how yeah. you change someone's perspective of a topic or idea. Yes. And it's my favorite thing. Use your own. Yes. It's, it's my, my favorite, favorite thing, thing too. It's, it's yeah. what this whole book yeah. is. Yeah. It's fun because it is always how you grab someone's attention. Hey, you think right. you know this, or you've been told this, here's why the opposite might be true. Right. And being able to, the TED model allows for incredible granular focus on an idea rather than trying to talk about a lot of things. Yes. And so even though I don't know someone's topic, you know, within an hour of talking to someone, I can already have some, I I start to think in terms of those ideas. I go, okay, here's what I think is the angle. And so that's really fun. But how I get people to develop talks, which is Mm. part of what I do too, I say, okay, this, it's the same as the skill cloud, what it is. And let's turn it toward Let's turn it towards skills only because I want everyone yeah. listening to be able to use this. Yes. So part of that is writing down all of the things that you do. Like what are the tasks and the things that you do? Like just write one idea per post-it. I do this, I do this, I do this. Okay, write a whole bunch, put them on the wall. And we do this with post-it so that you can be in an analog mindset. You're not yeah. writing in a document on a computer. You are moving things around. You're triggering different parts of your brain by doing that. You're using your physical body to sort ideas. And so you put up, you know, and you can do this lots of ways, but some of the skills you do. What are some of the outcomes of those skills? Put them on a different color post-it. It's I like, oh, this. well, they get this or they get that, get that. All right, now in a different color post-it, I'm racing through this, but you get the idea. Yeah. 
who are the people who could benefit, who already do benefit from this? Yes. And you put them all up and you start to just, it's completely an intuitive sort of mental Ouija board kind of thing. Like you move things around, be like, oh, I'm feeling like this is moving over here and this is starting here. Start to see the pattern of the kinds of things that you do, you know, that not just the task, but the things that you do really well. What are some things, and also have people brainstorm, what are a bunch of things that you do so easily you can't yeah. even believe anyone else struggles with it? You right. write those things down. Now move them all around. Where do they connect? Which do you have more of? Which do right. fewer of? So that you can go, oh, well, these people benefit, but there's other people. Who else could use this skill I have? Mm. So you're starting to think literally a non-linearly about yeah. your work by looking at it. When I do workshops, people will sit and look at it. And I go, you're going to put a bunch of post-its on the wall and you're going to stare at it like a chessboard. You're just going to stare at it and you're going to move some things around. And it's going to bring certain things into focus for you. Right. Like those magic eye posters, yeah. which I have them from like the early 2000s. Yes. Of the 90s. You put your face up to this computer printout. looks like all these little bits of color. Yeah. And if you look at it close enough, all of a sudden it's in 3D. That's what we do with the skill board. It's sort of a way to to start to see your work in a new way so that you can reinvent what it is that you do and why you do it and for whom. I didn't even think of the magic eye analogy and you just blew my mind again because now I'm like, I got it. I got to do this now. This is today's activity. Is is doing it, this it, it might be because the magic eye statement is such a great point. It's like all of a sudden you see the fully formed thing, and and it only you do need that analog moment. Like you do need that. Like you I need, need to see this in real life in the three D. In in the interest of not holding you captive for the rest of your life, which I, <laughs> I have considered a couple times, but but in the interest of not doing that. I have two more questions, Anna, because okay, I want to sure. I want to get to something about Ted that I would imagine you're not often asked, which is okay. what is the food situation like backstage? <laughs> oh my god, seriously? Yeah, tell us. Like, is there anything like a, anything to eat? Any drinks? Like, what? How are you? Yes. First of all, I feel like in in my mind, I would be really nervous. However, I would imagine that you have also practiced it and experienced it and taken the, I feel like there's some rigor around the practicing before you get to the actual day. So maybe you're not quite as nervous as I imagine this to be. So like, are you able to eat? Were you able to eat? Did you have a little pregame snack 30 minutes, an hour before anything? Oh my gosh. Well, the TEDx events, as you know, are independently organized and produced. So they're not put on by some big entity known as TED. They're this person who decided to run a TEDx event. So they really widely vary. Yeah. Some yeah. places are held in theaters that are so small, there is no green room. Right. And, and right. maybe they'll buy everyone lunch at the halfway point. <laughs> like they'll bring in lunch. That's usually a thing. And usually Jersey I can't Mike's. eat any of that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't eat any of stuff because I'm gluten-free. Me I'm too, mainly dairy-free. Dairy. I don't yeah. like okay. on things. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big pain in the ass. Right. So I barely, like, oh, we're ordering pizzas. I'm like, okay. No. Great. So I right. always right. make sure I have had what I need to eat. Yes. But trust me, everyone is quite nervous. I mean, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh my God, oh my God, because it's really happening. So right. I needed right. to eat early. So I felt stable. You always, yeah. you know, your blood yeah. sugar, you got to have that. But uh, once I had my makeup on that, like I wasn't going to be right. eating right before I went out there. Um, but it could vary. It could be a bunch of sandwiches on a tray. It could be donuts. I mean, it's not yeah, like someone's designing the event. It, usually there's a lot of water. And maybe some snacks, like packaged snacks. But, you know, unless someone is, unless it's a healthy company that's sponsoring the TEDx event, you're just going to get your basic 
break room stuff. I was thinking about the the classic, like the Hallmark Nature Valley granola bar and thinking like, can you imagine more of a, a dry throat environment? Oh my God. No, right. <laughs> you don't want to have that, but you also want a little sugar in your yes. stuff. You know what I mean? You want to have something to hold you. 100%. So I always make sure when I'm going to go somewhere and speak anywhere that I've kind of eaten and taken care of that first. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great answer. Great answer right there. Okay. Now I want to pivot to your to your Italy travels. And I think it was Ugh. more than just Italy, right? Like you would go somewhere new. A lot of Italy. Okay. It was a, a lot, lot of Italy. <laughs> Which, nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, like, what could be wrong with that? What any specific meal moments that stand out to you from your so this was a period of time that you were taking summers. Oh, I was young. Okay. I was young. I was in my 20s then. I was in grad school and I traveled during the summer when my uncle, my uncle Bob, to whom the book is dedicated, yeah. uh, he's a he was a priest and scholar, you know, a professor of theology at the University of Scranton. His name is Reverend Amazing. Robert Barone. And he invited me to come with him on study tours. He wanted me, he there was a lot he wanted me to see. So we went to Jerusalem and then we Amazing. went to Rome. And then the next year we went to Rome and then another place and we went to Tuscany. And the thing is that was back before I realized what a hard time I had with gluten. I was having a hard time with gluten. Yeah. <laughs> so and so funny. I was- The same experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. I mean, the food was delicious, but yeah. you would have a bowl of pasta, right. like fettuccine Alfredo as an appetizer and then have a dinner. I do remember standing in the hostel where we were staying yeah. at like this little hotel and being like, why is my stomach is so big? Why is it so bloated? And I, I ate pasta every night. My God, what a misery. I know. But I have since gone back and mm-hmm. spent some time in it. I went to Florence a few years ago on a solo trip. The best. And there is a lot, they're really good about gluten. Sansa gluten. You can get Beyond, it. Beyond, it's like the it. best. It's the best place to be if you're gluten-free now. Yes. Yeah, they really can. They really do accommodate. And yeah. I love charcuterie and all this, and they're very attentive to that. So you can absolutely eat yeah. deliciously and gluten-free in Italy. Yeah. But back in the in my 20s, <laughs> I was a bloated mess. And the end of every day, I was like three months pregnant. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, how did this, how exactly? Food baby. How food did baby. this happen? It's the food baby, 100%. Was there one, well, I, I mean, maybe it's not a one meal, but is there is there a one trip where you, that you went on where, and it doesn't, ha- it certainly doesn't have to be Italy. In fact, it could hmm. be Jerusalem. It could be anywhere that you felt the like food. this, this is such a memorable meal that I, I just can't, I, I've got to get back to do this all over again, but I don't want to do it all over again because I just want to experience that first time, like in the best way, which is how I want to end just talking about firsts, but okay. Yes. Yes. Well, my my girlfriend of mine, uh, we went on a trip to Portugal years ago and I knew the food was going to be amazing. And then we went, we were starving. We had just gotten there that day. And so we sort of noshed at this food, um, you know, court yeah. Yeah. thing. Kind of. And I was like, right. let's just eat. Let's just eat something. And then she goes, oh my gosh, I was on a wait list for a Michelin star restaurant and they have an opening for us tonight. I was like, when? We just ate. She's like, it's two hours from now, but we have to go. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not even hungry. How are we going to take advantage of this? Is going to be, she's like, we have to. Yes. Now, of course, sorry, I didn't, I don't remember the name of the place. I'm sure but. it was a Jose Avales place is what I'm thinking because otherwise I feel like that's what, if it was in Lisbon, 
They are really monopolizing the, Yes. Okay. Okay. So yes. narrow down. It was a Michelin star restaurant in Lisbon <laughs> and it was fantastic, but I had never had an experience quite like that where I'm telling you there had to be, we were there for like three hours. There had to be 25 courses oh. and I like to try lots of different yes. things. And I love that they like, you get, I mean, it was, everyone was so attentive and, you know, they're, they're basically drowning you in green wine. What is it? Green wine? Green wine. Vino, Vino, Vino Verde, which Vino I Verde. just talk about yes. a problem that needs solving. I'm coming for them. They need oh my God, solving. Vino they Verde. need export. They need to, they need export and distribution in the United States. Exactly. Yes, they serve it like we serve tap water here. Yes. Like literally. And every little dish that came out, it was like, here's a tiny quail egg on a bed of this. Here's a, and I was like, oh, and it talk about like mindful eating. I mean, it made me pay attention, go, I've never tasted anything like this, but you're not going to eat 10 pounds of it. Right. You eat a little bit and then another thing comes in and tastes that. Yeah. I was like, isn't this amazing? It was look, I'm not a real big outdoorsy adventurer, but I'm a food adventurer in that sense. Like, Ooh, look at that. I don't even care. Let me just try it. So that was very special. And we both had to be rolled out of there because (laughs) we weren't even hungry and we ate all 20 courses. So that was fantastic. I really love pairings with wine. And I just think it's, it's such an amazing way to take advantage of being human. It's like, what pleasure can we derive from what we eat and drink? Really? I also feel like it's like diving in headfirst to any sort of cultural experiences, just having a meal like that, right? Where you're like, I got to try a zillion things. I had one amazing bite of everything and it was everything I could have ever wanted. It's like, now I sort of am starting to dip a toe in what it would feel like to understand a new culture and like really go hard on it. Oh, I love Food that. in Portugal was really fantastic. It's I have so to say. good. It's so good. Yes. And also, I feel like I just didn't, until being there, I, I feel like I just didn't really understand the, the level of amazingness that I was about to experience. Like, I just, I would have said, yeah, no, Mediterranean sounds great. Like, <laughs> I just wouldn't right, have right. understood it. Was it. Another, it was next level. Yes. You know? All right. Okay. So before I let you go, tell us, tell us about the topic of firsts about how we place so much emphasis on the first anything. But what would you say is the sort of um, the confusing component about that? Why do we get that wrong? Well, first by nature, by (laughs) first by design are always going to be the thing that we remember. Yeah. And they're fun to talk about because the first time you did this, the first time, no one's going to be like, do you remember the the fourth time you had pasta? Like no one remembers (laughs) the fourth time. But they might remember the first time they had a certain kind of pasta dish. When you have a first, and any psychologist could back me up here with a million tons of research, yeah. it's like there's there's anticipation, there's excitement, there's an emotional component, which makes it cement itself in our minds. Like when you have something for the first time, your brain is wet cement and it leaves an impression. Yeah. That's enough. It already is going to do that. But when we make a bigger deal that first have to be a certain way, yeah. then my fear is that we may put off doing the thing. Oh, We assume things have to be perfect to right happen here. at all. 100%. And it's like, just do it. Like mm-hmm. just, you know, I mean, just you don't go. do things before you're ready, meaning, right. especially because I did write in the book about my first sexual experience. I mean, yeah. unfortunately- far too many people slash mainly women find themselves having their first anything in a situation where they did not choose, did not want, did not know how to get themselves out of. But I'm Mm. not talking about that. Mm. I'm talking about when I I chose to have my first time with a boyfriend when I was 21. I was not a kid. And I still was underwhelmed by it. And I thought, 
what was the big fuss about right. this? Well, it wasn't going to be great the first time. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I figured it out and it got to be more fun later. Right. This goes back to my right. same point about motivation, that no amount of inspiration can light a fire for you for life. The right. fire comes from seeing your own progress and experiencing how much better things can be. If you have a first anything, that's great. Move on to your second, third, and fourths. Yes. But don't let the first, oh, be a reason to, I just don't like when we get, we get precious about stuff. Like, precious. just do it so that we can keep doing what we love. If we delay it, that's also my problem with bucket lists. Like, oh. I'm not going to begrudge. I'm not going to begrudge you your bucket list, but if you have things on a shelf, you go someday, I'm going to do that one random thing. What do you think is going to happen when you do it? Right. If it's really crazy, you might die doing it, but also (laughs) is it going to bring you that much meaning? You know, do we put too much emphasis on one thing to yield so much meaning when really the meaning, as you know, comes from doing a thing over and over. You've been doing this podcast for a while. You've had lots of interesting conversations. You didn't just do one and go, okay, I did a podcast. No, you do it and you keep doing it because you get better at it as you do it. Just like anything. Yes. The thing that I love that you said about this, about this topic also in the book that I think is powerful is that to some extent, there's this component of doing something that you're doing for the first time for the, for the sake of your bucket list, right? That feels like you're doing it for the story. I love the story. But I can do lots of other things for the story, you know? Yes. <laughs> there's lots of, and I, and I really like, I appreciate that telling so much because it's like, thank you. Thank you for that reframe. Like, no, no, I don't need to bungee jump because that's scary. I just don't feel like <laughs> Why is it on a list if you don't want to do it? Why is that uh, on the list? With like, right. It's the same reason why I think we write stories how we think they should be. So people will be like, well, we met online, but we don't want to tell anyone that. First of all, we're hey. past that. People meet online all the time. Um, I met my husband but online. it used to be, mm, yeah. you, I met my boyfriend online. Yes. But it's like, well, oh, I don't want to be able to say, I want to have a cute story. It's like, who, then be a screenwriter and write exactly. a movie. Right. But like, this is your life. You met them online. Why is that? You don't need to have like the most amazing how we met story. That's my, that's a perfect example of how we get overly precious. Like yeah. I met my boyfriend on Hinge. Yeah. It was, it worked for us. Like right. I found him and I was like, what a gem. And I was right. Right. So why is that a problem? <laughs> who cares? No one cares. I think that's the moral story is yes. no one cares. Do you do what you want to do? Because when you try to rise to the level of expectation of what you think everyone else wants, first of all, they don't care. They don't, they don't give a care. damn. And if you meet someone else's expectation, the most they can do is check the box and go, okay, cool. That's not very exciting. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would like you to move in with me. I can't. I, can't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's an invitation. You can come here. You can come to my, my childhood right. home here in Battery Park. You can just come on. Come on down. Um, but tell everyone, tell, tell our listeners where they can find you and the book. And I just, I just can't even sing enough praises, but please. Thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time and your praise. And the easiest thing, since my name's a little bit confusing for people is just go to unfollowyourpassion.com. But my name is Terry Gespicio. And if you want to try spelling it, Google knows. <laughs> and then you can find me on like literally all of the platforms. I'm, I'm very easy to find, but if you're not sure about the book for some reason, I don't know why, um, just go to my main website at terrygespecia.com and get on the list so that we can at least be in touch. But everything about the book and the bonuses with that book are at unfollowyourpassion.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.